This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Take a smaller step Take a deeper breath Let your motor cool Slow down to a crawl As your defenses fall Feel your soul refuel Everything you thought All that you believed Hold it in your hands And let it go Nothing left to fear Open to receive Setting free the child Beautiful child In you Do a little dance Sing a simple song Laugh so hard you're crying Chase a butterfly Climb a mountainside Once again you're flying The person of your dreams Is coming into view Nobody can take that dream away Somebody who trusts Somebody who shares Someone like the child The beautiful child In you Everything you thought All that you believed Hold it in your hands And let it go Everyone you love Wants you to achieve They want to meet the child In you, beautiful child, is you. Ooh. 
clap, even though it's Borough Park. Welcome, everybody, to the Possible You introduction. If, uh, come sit with them, please, up front, please. Um, welcome to the Possible You introduction. My goal tonight is to make sure that you understand completely what it is that the seminar is offering, because I've come to uh, run a seminar this coming week in Borough Park, right here, actually, actually in this room right next door to us. It'll be in this little room here, which is a, just a perfect room here in this, uh, in this building. Thank you very much also to the, uh, to the Borough Park Center uh, for hosting. They've hosted so many seminars of, our, of mine here over the years. And I don't know if any of you were ever at a seminar here. Uh, you've, been, you've coached a seminar here, weren't they? Anyway. Um, so what I'd like to do is give you full clarity on what the seminar offers exactly, so that you uh, so that you can make a decision in honor of your life. Yeah. So the uh, welcome, gentlemen. Ladies, and please sit where you're. So you're over there. Okay, that's good. Uh, anyone who came in late, unless you're alumni, just fill out a fill out one of these forms, please. Um, just to give you a little bit of my background, I grew up in uh, Los Angeles. I was raised uh, in a very well-to-do neighborhood in a very uh, kind of fan- fancy home in a fancy part of Los Angeles. And the, uh, due to an amazing hashkocha pratis from God, uh, divine assistance, my father's business went bankrupt. And for the first time in my life, I actually needed money to go on my next surf trip. I was surfing around the world for many years. And I got, a, I got an actual uh, free ticket to Jerusalem, where I went to Asia Torah. And, and then I studied in Asia Torah for, for many years. I, I learned full-time for before I got married, after I got married. Anyway, but I, uh, towards the end of my full-time studies, I, I got smicha. And at the time that I was getting smicha, I got trained by a Russian hypnotherapist who, uh, who was one of the top hypno, uh, people who worked in hypnosis in the world. So I was trained by him, and then I worked another five years in hypnosis. And at the end of those five years, I started this seminar, which is called the Possible Youth Seminar. And this is now the 19th year of the seminar running, and we have now, uh, we've just hit 9,000 graduates, which is amazing. And... <laughs> Yeah, it's really, really a dream. Um, you know, part of, part of my whole journey was this, like, 
I was reacting to a very capitalistic father from about 11 years old. I went on this rebellious journey against capitalism. Like he manufactured clothing, and he would he would actually uh, give me clothing, like boxes of sports. It was surfwear, you know, oceanwear, swimwear. He would give me boxes of swimwear to take them to school to sell them. And after I was done giving them away to everyone, I would come home, and my father's like, "Okay, where's the money?" And and I say, I said, I gave them away. And, and, and my, I mean, can you imagine how frustrating that was for my father, you know, trying to train me as a, you know, a good businessman. So I couldn't help but give them away. In fact, many years later, you know, that was when I was, I don't know, 15 years old. Many years later, when I was 33 years old, and I started the Possible Youth Seminar, uh, the, from 33 to 36. The seminar ran for free. I mean, it was literally a free seminar, and and I just you know I was a young, I was young. I had just a couple kids, learning in Kolel, and I figured I don't need the money. Let everyone come, and so people just came, and it was, it was my little free seminar. Eventually, someone said I sh- I got to charge something because people got to put a little skin into it, and so uh, so then I charged a hundred shekels, yeah for like another two years, something like that. Anyway, eventually, a business manager found me and told me that I'm completely out of my mind and that the seminar really needs to charge a proper amount of money. And Anyway, long story short, now it's already, you know, it's about 15 years later, and, uh, and we've been, I've been running them all over the world. The hubs of the seminar are Jerusalem, Borough Park, and Muncie. The um, we have yet to run. We're not really running women's seminars in months in Borough Park because I, I I mean no offense to everyone here, but I just refuse to be here for two weeks in Borough Park because apparently a lot of the women are busy working here during the day, so they can't do daytime seminars. So so I have the men on non-work hours, and I'm not running seminars for women at all. For some reason, Muncie has less women working during the day. And so I can run it there. I'm thinking maybe Williamsburg has less women working. So maybe Williamsburg's an option. And then, of course, I never get left alone about Lakewood. So the, so the hubs are Jerusalem, uh, Brooklyn, and Muncie. And I've just started uh, Stamford Hill, uh, London. And so we're, uh, please God, we're going to be there uh, I forget when exactly. I think right after Pesach is going to be in, uh, back in London. Um, so I'd like to share with you all about it. A uh, couple things to note. Um, uh, one of those things is that... i use the board a little. Is that the seminar runs on three major principles... Uh, principle number one is, uh, I like to use a shin, but principle number one is, is that it needs a lot of time. We have to be together for a lot of hours. And the reason that is, is because, like right now, I know you think I'm speaking to, and I am speaking to, but I'm, I'm speaking to you through a filter of everything you've ever heard before. Because, I mean, 
You know, every time you hear the word time, for example, every time you hear the word time, it goes through every concept you've ever had of time. And every time you've ever had too much time doing something or not enough time, or it just, everything's going through your filter. So what I discovered after five years of hypnosis was that you can actually take people outside of, you can get people's filters to drop if you'll just spend three to four days with them. Um, you know, non-stop time together. So, for example, the men's seminar, the first day of the seminar is, uh, it's, it's from noon to about 11.30 at night. So that's 11 and a half hours. And can you imagine what would happen if you went to a therapist for 11 and a half hours? I'm not sure who would kill the other person first or just run and jump out, out the window. But, you know, here's someone who, who's a trained therapist, so they obviously have something to offer you. The problem is, is who's got the time to get, make that happen? So what happens when we go to a therapist is we get to like, let's say it's 50 minutes for however much money. What's a therapist these days? 200 bucks or something. So, so it's 50 minutes for 200 bucks. So you start feeling safe to like share with this person around, at around 45 minutes. So as you begin your opening lines of what you're going to actually share with the person, they, they go like this. They're like, well, that will be it for today. We'll see you next week. And so, huh? You know, I was just getting started. And so, well, we're finished now. So the, so the time's very intensive. The men's seminar is, um, it's t- 11 and a half hours the first day. Then it's five hours the next night, I think. Anyone know what time it runs? Yeah. I'm going to look myself. Uh, it says nightly hours. That's not very helpful. <laughs> it's like 7 to 11-ish. About, yeah. Anyway, it's a lot of hours. The women's seminars run every morning from 10 a.m., from 9.30 to... 3.30 p.m. So it's six hours straight by four days. Whatever, the whole thing's like 24 hours and four days that we're together. And what happens is you can't help when that time's going by. You can't help but have your the radar system that you usually have set up to protect you. Your radar drops. That's one of the things that happens. So then suddenly the seminar's under the radar. It's gotten underneath your radar. And and then we actually get to do the work that we came to do, which is, you know, some pretty deep work. And we need to, but we need to get underneath everything there. So in a way, I could really say nothing the first day and nothing the second day, because it's the third day when we're going to be inside you now. And that's when we got in. But I don't say nothing the first day, two days. But there are real jobs to get underneath your radar. We'll talk more about it in a bit. Okay, number two... Is, uh, is group. Number two is group is, and that is that, and it's very interesting, you can't spend that amount of time with someone like me, unless you're married to me. And that, that's how I, that's how I married my wife, by the way, is, uh, is that I knew I would only marry a woman who would never ever, the person I would marry would be the person that would never say, can we talk about something lighter, please? 
meaning anyone who ever said, can we talk about something lighter to me? They were just, you know, they just needed some oxygen. But when they would say that to me, they didn't realize that they were sealing their fate as, as being, you know, a really close friend of mine or something. Like, it was over at that point. And so I knew the, the girl I would marry would be the one who would never, ever, ever say the words, can we talk about something lighter? Now, but if you were to spend this amount of time with me one-on-one, as I said before, you'd just be ready to kill me at that point. And, but when we're in the group, you don't even notice that the time is going by. The time is just literally going by. I have, uh, I have people with ADHD in the seminar who are sure they'll never be able to do the seminar because they'll have spilkas and they'll... And you see them, the, the seminar's over, it's late at night, and the guy's just, he can't believe that it's over. Like, he would love it if I would just go on a little longer. Now, I tell people with ADHD, I said, it's called the possible you, meaning it's about you. So you should, ser- you, like, it's a little hard for you to get bored of you. And when's the last time you got bored of yourself? You know, so, so even though it's a lot of hours, it's a lot of hours about you. And, like, how bored can you get discussing you the whole time? So it's, it's, that doesn't, that's not the big issue. But the group dynamic is what really helps. And um, something else about the group dynamic. Um, let's say, uh, what's your name over there? Me? First name. Avrami. Avrami. So let's say Avrami. I'm discussing with Avrami something that, uh, what's your name? Shia. Shia and? Moisha. So I'm discussing with Avrami something that she and Moisha have, have in common with Avrami. And I'm just interacting with Avrami. And what happens is, you know, who's the most likely person to have a breakthrough on this? Avrami or she and Moshe? Which ones? She and Moshe are the most likely to have their breakthrough on this. Because you're on the spotlight, you and I are discussing something. And you're, you're really discussing it. You want to grow and you're, but in the end, you're on the, you're in the spotlight. Meanwhile, I'm watching she and Moshe. She and Moshe are like, like that. And we actually have a code in the seminar is that if you're ever, if you're ever uh, resonating with something that's being said, you say the word pop. And so you two give me a pop, one, two, three. Pop. So they give a pop. I go, I'm talking to him. I, I look over. She and Moshe. Okay. And then I keep working with you. But really, I'm working with them right now. And, I, and I'll stay on, you know, I'll stay on topic with you. But I'm really working with these two guys over here. And so... That's part of the group dynamic, and that's part of the, the excitement in the room is that, is that we're all just kind of popping together and, and, and resonating together. And um, the, the last is, is the leadership. Leadership or content. And the, the leadership, which is yours truly, and that's my job, is to take you on this journey. So you're on this like incredible journey for these four days down the rabbit hole of your life. And it's, that's the, uh, you know, the real exciting thing. So it's time, group, and, le- and the leadership, which is the, basically me leading you through this whole process. Okay, here's some science. There's a lot of science behind this seminar. The seminar is actually a technology. 
Is Moishe here? Moishe Geiger? Moishe, is, is this room warm or is it just me? Feels warm to me. That thing, that plastic thing's probably on, huh? But they have a um, what? Yeah, they have. Uh, there's some kind of hotline. There's like a phone down here that. You know, there's a phone down here, like some kind of wall phone somewhere. Might be outside in the hall. Also, does it seem too dim in here, or is it just me? What do you, how do you guys like the light? Yeah, the light's fine. Okay. It's me. Okay, okay, here we go. We're going to talk a little of the science behind what's going on in the, in the possible you. In the center of your brain, right between the two lobes of your brain, right in the center, is a a network called the default mode network. The default mode network is a part of your brain whose job is to keep this incredible supercomputer called your brain from, from networking. It's to stop the brain from networking. It suppresses your brain's network. Why? Why would you have a part of your brain that would stop it from networking? And so the answer is, is that if your brain was in full network, you probably couldn't walk down a flight of stairs. Because while you're walking down the flight of stairs, you're also like sensing the air, and now you hear a noise, and now maybe there's some footsteps down below you, you know, and maybe there's someone coming down from up above, and you notice a picture on the, on the landing, and you're just overwhelmed, and you're likely going to fall going down those stairs. You don't want your brain fully networked on a staircase. And if you're driving on the Palisades Parkway, yeah, you're driving the Palisades Parkway doing a... How fast can you go on that highway? 67? Oh, the ten, 65. So it says 55, doesn't it? 55. So if you're driving 65 miles per hour on a highway... Now, that's a very beautiful highway there. There's a lot going on over there. I actually really enjoy when someone drives me up the Palisades Parkway... You know, you get little views of the Hudson, and and you've got sometimes deer. There's some nice birds. Sometimes you got geese flying by. And but meanwhile, if you're driving the car, you're doing 65 miles per hour. So you don't want to be noticing all that stuff. And it turns out you don't. Now here's the interesting part: if you're driving on that highway, don't you see everything the passenger sees? Don't you see all that? So it turns out that they've discovered, and this is a scientific fact, that 90% of what you're seeing, you do not see at all. Meaning they could put, they could put clowns on the side of the Palisades Parkway going like this. You know, clowns doing jumping jacks, Palisades Parkway. Your passenger would be like, did you see that? And you'd be like, what? Yeah, there were about 10 clowns doing jumping jacks on the side of the parkway, like literally on the grass right next to us. And the driver would miss it. They've even done, and you can, you can see this, this is online. They're, they've even done the, um, gorilla suit during the ping pong match where they had, they had, uh, you know, it was a psychological study where they show people playing ping pong and you're just supposed to watch the ball. The job of the observers was to watch the ball. But what happens is while you're watching the ball, 
a man in a gorilla suit comes out and starts dancing around. And so if you've got 20 people watching that, 10 of them did not see the gorilla. They just don't see it. And you, so, so back, to the, back to the science of it is 90% of what you look at, listen carefully, 90% of what you look at is a digital predictive simulation. A digital predictive simulation, meaning it's predictive, it's predictive vision. It's not actual vision. You're not seeing the sides of the highway there. This is your brain predicting for what would the sides of a highway look like if you happen to be driving up a highway. What would it look like? You don't realize that. What, so 90% is predictive. What's the other 10%? It's your brain looking at the cars in front of you. It's your brain on task. And so, see, what you call concentrating on the car in front of you is actually, it, meaning it sounds like a positive, like a mitzvah a positive commandment, concentrating on the cars in front of you. What you think is, co- part, is concentrating on the cars in front of you is actually the opposite. It's don't concentrate on, on everything around you so that 10% of your brain is, is left over. It's like the shrine of your brain to watch the cars in front of you. Clear? And that's a good thing or a bad thing? It's, well, it's a really good thing at 65 miles per hour. And that's another reason. Now, something else the default mode network does is it takes the past and predicts for the future. So while you're watching that car's moves, you notice how you don't even have to think about it. You just like, you make all these micro adjustments with the steering wheel. Your foot starts like sliding over towards the brakes. You don't even have to think about it. It's just that you, your, your default mode network has, has your, all your past driving involved with the future down the highway. That's why, I mean, if you were going to take that highway, if you were going to take that highway and you had a choice between a 16-year-old driving or a 35-year-old, which would you choose? I'll take the 35-year-old, please. Yeah, I'd rather go with the 35-year-old. Why? Because he's got more past that's being predicted into the future. You understand? There's more past. And so, therefore, with that experience, he's going to move better as he goes down the highway. Clear? So... Let's review. The default mode network shuts off your brain's network so that only about 10% of you is involved with what? Being vigilant over the things that you've learned in your past to be vigilant for. I'm going to say it again. The default mode network's job is to shut down your brain from being overly networked so that you can be on task based on all the, you know, situations of the past. So that you can predict for those situations. Okay? Is that clear? Now, here's the amazing thing. Here's, here's why we have the Possible Use Seminar. Is that your, your default mode network cannot distinguish between 65 miles per hour on a highway and walking into a wedding reception. Because the same fear that we have 
of being in a highway crash, which is serious, is the same fear for our brain. It can't distinguish it. It's the same fear of our brain to walk into a wedding reception. It's almost like you're there to, just like you want to survive your drive from Muncie to Brooklyn. You want to survive the wedding, which is such a shame because some family, families have put down some $50,000 plus for you to enjoy yourself. And what do they want you to enjoy yourself with? Well, they want you to enjoy yourself with your brain. Why? Because, well, there's going to be tastes, and there's going to be sounds, and there's going to be sights, and there's going to be, you know, smells, and there's going to be touch, you know, there's going to be movement, and there's going to be, there's going to be a lot of stuff going on in there. And, and they, they've, they forked over a lot of money for this, for the simcha of their children, but almost no guests will be there. And so what happens in the end is the brain shut down to be vigilant over things that happened in your past. Well, what happened in your past? What happened to you that's got your brain protecting you basically 24-7? What happened in your past that got your brain protecting you? And so the answer is, The answer is, a lot of stuff happened. And to be very specific, can you see the board over here? Yeah. Uh, to be very specific, is stuff that happened were things like rejections, there were failures, There were situations where people were controlling you, where you were being controlled by others. There were unknowns. And there were, um, there were um, scary physical pain, suffering type situations. Because when you're a kid, you know, you see whatever, something happened to the neighbor, or there was a heart attack, or there's an ambulance, or there's someone with one leg, or stuff. Which, but that can really freak out a kid. That can traumatize a kid, especially if it's in the family. So again, there were rejections. So when I walk into a wedding, or if I'm speaking to somebody... So I'm going to be really careful to make sure that I don't get rejected in that situation. I'm going to be really sure of that. And so what's going to happen is I'll probably miss the wedding or I'll probably miss the conversation. But I will be super vigilant for how I came off when I was there. With failures, this would have to do with our finances. 
This would have to do with our contribution in this world. This would have to do with our, our business dealings and how we're interacting with others. You know, there's several people. I, I had a guy who came to the Possible You in, um, in Israel before I ran in New York. I feel bad for the guy because he had to fly there. It started on Sunday night and ended on a Sunday. So he, he had to be there for 10 days, basically, because he had to come before Shabbos. But this, this businessman, a CEO of a company, came to the Possible You. He called me a year later. I didn't know who the guy was. He calls me a year later, and he says to me, Rabbi Glazer, I just wanted to tell you the good news. My business has gone, since I did the seminar, my business went up 3%. And I was like, why are you calling me? Like, just that I should say it. So, I'm sorry. You know. So I was like, I'm sorry it didn't go up more. You know. And he's like, do you know what 3% is in my company? I'm like, I never asked you what you do, but I, I imagine it's not a lot. And he says, it's about $800 million dollars. He says, but it's not just that. When I, when I pulled that 3% out of nowhere after the seminar, well, a lot of people start investing with me. And so it's like doubled that already. Doubled the $800 million in new investors. And so I was like, Mazel tov. what'd you do? You know, what was the secret? How'd you get that 3%? So he says, while I was in your seminar, I realized that for the last 20 years of investing people's money... I was hiring people that were dumber than me. Like I was unconsciously sabotaging my own company that I'm like, I'm managing people's money with. And I'm unconsciously hiring people who aren't as smart as me. Because in the end, like who should be speaking at the boardroom if not the CEO of the company? So he says, I realized this during the seminar. I flew back. I spent millions of dollars in severance because he had to, he fired his entire executive staff. Cost him millions of dollars in severance pay. And I rehired the top people in the field, which also cost me a fortune. He says he hasn't said a word at a board meeting other than, you know, calling a board meeting. But he basically sits there, you know, about Tim Tacharishun, and he just sits there and and they deal with stuff, but they found out all these areas where the company was hemorrhaging money. And, and anyway, but that's a, an amazing example of how we are totally unconsciously sabotaging our own finances and, and specifically predicting for, in his case, dumber people to be working for him. Um, control. When it comes to control, control means other people controlling you. So when it comes to other people controlling you, it just means like anyone. It could be government, taxes, parents, schwer, schwiger, um, askonim, rabbis, God. Um, when you were a kid, it was teachers. And what you often get in the end is that people are just constantly watching out that no one should be controlling them in any way. But that takes away your ability to synergize with others. Because nothing happens today without teamwork. Everything is teamwork in life. 
and we all work together. But if you're so busy not being controlled, so it could be your, your, your wife has just, you know, like asked you to do something and you could snap back just from like, you know, don't tell me what to do or something like that or vice versa. It could go either way. And meanwhile, the spouse is just like, uh, you know, I was just asking you to put your clothes in the hamper, you know. Just put your clothes in your hamper. I'm not trying to control too much here, you know. And but it, it can be anything. It can be with boss, with a boss. And and by the way, you always have a boss. Like you could be running a company, but in a way, your investors are your boss. And so, and so that's the control issue. And that and it stops us from synergizing. The next is the unknowns of life. Now this one gets a little more rare. But this would be a situation where, oh gosh, the, the trauma in a childhood life, let me just talk trauma real quick. Rejection would be, uh, you know, obviously to be embarrassed or a bad mechanic, a bad educator embarrassing the kids or, uh, or never getting picked for things, never getting picked for the show or the play or the games or anything. Um, the failure is obvious, you know, like could be that just in the, School system, your brain isn't built for that particular thing. Like, meaning if you got on this side's Gavura and this side's Chesed, and all human beings are scattered amongst them, somewhere around these two sides. So the school systems kind of says only these people are smart right there. Like, that's the people who are smart. And everyone else has to basically struggle the whole time. And so, and so that could easily be a, a traumatic failure for a kid. Uh, being the youngest kid in the class, being the youngest kid in the class where you're just not developing like the other kids, that could also do the same thing. You know, where the kid's starting to think that they're a dummy, which would, could cause that trauma. Or just failing outright, you know, and, and realizing that you just can't do certain things. Um, Control can be anything from, uh, you know, God forbid, a molestation to just very controlling parents. You know, I've had, I've had uh, participants in my seminar who the very first choice they made in their life was the day after their Shevabrahas. You know, that was their first choice. And they, I'll tell you the truth, they didn't even know what to do with themselves. You know, because if you haven't made a choice in 19 years and now you just got married, and now, you know, you got controlled all the way through your first week of Shevard Brothers as well. And your parents provided the person you were marrying as well. So it's like your very first choice took place. Your very first choice took place way after the game. You know, way after it's too late, really, to become someone who's a powerful chooser. Which means now you got to, like, you need, like, basically rehab, you know? <laughs> You, you need to be like rehabilitated to making your own choices in your life. Is there a way to put the fan on low also while your guys are over there? Yeah. Oh man. Maybe I maybe it was better being hot. Oh, but it feels good. I feel it. Can we leave the cap off for now in case? Let's leave that cap off, please. Can you speak to him, Moishi? Make sure he doesn't lock that. 
No, 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 don't call him back. Yo, yo, uh, excuse me, sir. Please give us, let us be able to turn it on and off, please. Please. No, we, we want to choose. I want it off, I want it off in like four, five minutes. Thank you so much. <laughs> I'm happy to scream over the air intake of this room. Aren't you? Yes. I missed you. It was it was worth flying here just to see your face. I'm telling the show. Can you guys hear me back there? That's yeah. Clear. It's so quiet in here, so we can. <laughs> Feels good though. Who would think you'd need air conditioning in the middle of December? Right. February. Is it February? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So unknowns are a little more rare, but uh, trauma in the unknown could be like uh, trauma in the unknown could be like a bankruptcy, like a family was like living pretty like high up high end, and then the father goes bankrupt or whatever, and next thing you know the family's like or moved to like you know a totally different neighborhood, a totally different financial echelon. Could be there was a divorce, and now it's like. You know, the family's splitting up, and, like, the kid just feels like their whole world's crumbling. And so you'll find them, as adults, they'll be, uh, you know, they'll be, they'll be always predicting for, you know, that, that things shouldn't break up. And so they'll be way too careful. They'll, they'll miss out on life itself because they'll never risk anything. Because they're just so afraid that things might disintegrate as they did when he was a child. And so, but, but you all know, if you don't risk it, you don't live it in life. If you don't risk things in life, you're not going to be alive. You know, the, the whole magic of life, those of you in business know what I'm talking about. You'll notice the second, like, things are more or less calm in order, you just go and, like, take out a new space, you know? And you're just, <laughs> you know, you're gonna, you're gonna invest in something else. You're gonna, you know, and then, and then, like, your wife can't figure out why you're not sleeping well. And you're like, well, you know, we've, we've kind of, we're pretty stretched thin right now. Because I just took on something else. And she's just looking at you like, like you're bananas. You know, because you could have been fine. But we don't want to just be fine. We want to risk something and maybe feel alive. And that's why you'll notice all the people doing sports and especially extreme sports is what are those people doing? You know, why are they jumping out of the airplane? You know, that's, airplanes are supposed to just stay seated. You know, fasten, turn on fasten seatbelt sign, you know. Like, don't get up. But you got these other people who are like, they're paying good money just to jump out of the thing. <laughs> like, why would you pay to go up in a plane you're going to jump out of? You know, if you don't want to be in the plane, just don't get in in the first place. But these people... 
they, they know that there's something about risking that makes you feel alive. And this has been one of the lessons. You know what? I'm going to digress a little just to teach you one of the, one of the lessons. And by the way, I'd love to hear questions about anything. You know, after the intro, maybe we can do a couple question and answers. Because, uh, you know, I've been, people have been asking me to start a branch for Asia Torah here in, uh, in Brooklyn. To actually start a branch for our, because we just have such wonderful educational stuff that no one ever gets to, it's like, it's all the stuff you were never allowed to ask. You know what I mean? All that stuff was, uh, what do they call it? Uh, I, I know very little Yiddish, by the way. I think this one is uh, a Shailiz Treif. Does that sound right? A Shailiz Treif. How do they say it? Oh, Valazoy also. Yeah, I know that Yiddish too. Valazoy. So in a Shailiz Treif. And the, uh, in ancient Torah, Shailiz Kosher. Yeah? Shailiz Kosher. So they... They want me to, uh, they really, there are a lot of people are asking me to start something here. Like a program that's an ongoing thing that, uh, you know, I'm sure my wife would be really excited about me coming here more often. <laughs> anyway. But I'd just like to show you a little graphic. And that is, uh, uh, here is, I don't know why I made it a square, but it's a square. This is you inside the square. And uh, I think I made you way too big there. I got to make you a little smaller. That's you inside the square. And what happened was your probably your parents, the community, whatever, they made the, um, the place where it gets dangerous there. Can you guys see that back there, the dotted lines? And so they made where danger is there, but it turns out danger is actually here. Now, by the way, we're not discussing halacha right now. This isn't like, this is like Isser Derisa's and Durabunans, and this is like Gadarim, like a fence, make a fence for the Torah. That's good. You need a fence for the Torah. That's wonderful. I'm talking about, I'm talking about like actual real danger. The real, like the, the real danger is out here. Okay? Sorry, is at the edges of there. So, this, there is an edge. And if you're raised thinking that this is the area you get to play in, the area you get to live in, that's where, what you've been given. Because the second you step out of there, the second you walk out from there, just to here, to that space, which is 100% safe, zero danger there. But the second you step out of there, if you were raised thinking this is where the danger begins, so then... You lose your instincts. You know how it is. You know when you when you're. I'm always talking about cars and highways. I can't stop with cars. I'm from LA. You know, it's like everything's cars. Nobody walks in LA. Okay, but if you go to visit your next door neighbor in LA, you just get in your car, you put it in reverse, and you go back like 50 feet, and go see your neighbor. So 
Anyway, the, but a, you've heard the term a deer in headlights. When, when a deer is, when a car is approaching a deer on a highway and the deer looks and sees the car, it should run, but what it does is it freezes. It loses its natural instincts. And so what happens is people are in no danger at all with no instincts at all because they, they're, they're just in the danger zone. And this is the famous saying that the best mothers will fail and the worst mothers will succeed. What does that mean? The best mothers will fail and the worst mothers will succeed? What it means is that the best mothers will fail at mothering when it's no longer appropriate. They will no longer be mothering because it's not appropriate to be mothering like that. While the worst mothers will succeed at constantly mothering you and never letting you explore and discover and become in your life. You see, an infant needs a lot of mothering. A newborn needs a lot of mothering. But the second that the newborn is a toddler, it needs a lot of mothering, but a little less. And then as a five-year-old, a lot of mothering, it's five, but less. And so on and so on and so on until you've got an actual adult on your hands. And that adult, well, I guess they're no longer on your hands if it's an adult. So they're on your head. But you know the famous, that's a Yiddish thing. When they're little, they're on your hands. When they're older, they're on your head. But you guys sure you can hear me back there? Moshe, you hear me? If the mother stops mothering like that, meaning if she, if she slowly lets off the mothering, you become a secure and, and confident adult. And for all of us, we need to learn how to dance in the magic. And how do you dance in the magic out here? Is you actually, you ready how you do it? Here's the funny thing how you do it. Is you go like this. Bam. And then you, you go like this, you know, just bam. And then you're like, wah. Like, you hit the wall. But guess what? Now you know where the wall is. Now you know where you can dance and where it ends. You know the edge. You know the edge. And, and it's good to hit that edge. I can just tell you as a public speaker, you know, nothing to do with the seminars. I'm just saying as a public speaker, many years ago I realized that I think I overstated some stuff in a class, like I went a little too far. And, uh, and guess what happened? The positive feedback doubled. And so I was like, well, that's odd. I thought I went too far. So you know what I did? I went twice as far the next class. And then the positive feedback quadrupled. And then I realized, you know what? What if I just... What if I just start saying, like, whatever, whatever comes, you know, like, you know, ADHD, you know, I'm just going to, like, let it all come out, you know, and just say it all and wait for emails saying that was totally inappropriate. What if I just did that? And so I tried it. And no one sent any emails. And next thing I know, I'm walking down 13th Avenue on my next trip. 
And people were coming up to me and saying, I'm watching you every day. I just want to thank you so much. Because it just kept growing and growing and growing. And once in a while, I get an email. And you should know, I write like a big, fat paragraph of thank you to this guy. Because like, thank you. Thank you for, for letting me know where the wall is there. But I'm not going to guess, listen carefully, I'm not going to guess where the wall is. I want to hit it. Yeah, I want to feel life. I want to bump myself up against the world. And when it pushes back, I, I've learned where I can dance now. Because I want to dance in this world. I want to feel alive and I want to sense the, the risk. And that risk is called, in science, in, in Kabbalah it's called chesed. In science it's called chaos. And the opposite of, the, of that chaos is order. In Kabbalah, gevura. And so... For example, when us men have our businesses more or less running themselves well, things are in order. And we will always do something crazy and put chaos in our lives to create a new level of order that's something bigger and broader, that's something that excites us. We love chaos and order. Although it's funny, there's one place we don't like um, chaos and this is really not nice. Ladies, can you go like this for a moment? Thank you. They're all set. Now, there's, there's one place we don't like chaos. And this is terrible. And we all should be ashamed of ourselves as men. We don't like chaos in our homes. <laughs> we like our chaos professionally at work. And you should all just like behave yourselves and be quiet. And so, and so should our kids, you know. And this, by the way, for all those kids at risk out there, you know, raising teenagers today, oh my gosh, is like crazy. But one of the things your kids will show you, if you think orders, if you want your house to be the order and your business to be the chaos, you might just have one of those Avram Avinu teenagers who's just going to like burn your idols. You know, he's just going to show you a thing or two. So... And, and notice our wives, our wives will like take us down into like full wrestling hold, you know, like, like jugular, like, like our wives will just bring us into chaos to just make sure our marriages are growing because you cannot grow without chaos. No growth without chaos. You don't grow. And so the only way for us to grow in our marriages because we're such order freaks because we love our chaos at work, not at home, is the only way for the marriage to grow is our wife throws some chaos into the marriage. And when they throw that chaos into our marriage, you know, we usually go down kicking and screaming, you know, we don't want to deal with that. But, but in the end, we grow and the marriage grows and the, and the, the family's growing now. And sometimes a teenager has got to wake you up with a little chaos. And the, uh, but again, that's how you grow. Now I'm gonna, now I'm gonna tie all this into the seminar. The possible you, the possible you seminar 
is chaos. It is total planned. I mean, I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing, but I'm basically taking my chaos gun, you know, this like ray, ray gun, you know, it's like shooting out rays. I'm taking my chaos ray gun and just like going like, and causing total chaos for your world to shake you up in order for you to realize that, well, we're way too early for me to tell you what you need to realize. But let's put it like this. I'm going to say something that's beyond anything I've said here today. So if you didn't understand what I'm about to say, I apologize. It's kind of a strange intro. But um, when I shoot the chaos in, I'm shaking up, listen carefully, the narrative that you've been telling yourself for the last, like, 30 years about how life is just that way. I'm shaking up your very narratives that you that that you kind of have made up. Narratives means your stories. I'm shaking up the stories you use to explain <laughs> to explain why your life's dysfunctional. You know what? <laughs> you understand? What I, mean? I heard an amazing muscle. Um, I think this mushal will explain it. And Hasidim love mushals. So. If you put a rat inside a big box, put a rat inside a big box, you know this mushal? You like it? If you put a rat inside a big box, and in that box you have four long tunnels, and at the end of the fourth tunnel you put a piece of cheese, so if you put the rat inside the box by 20, tunnel one, the rat will go down tunnel one, no cheese, come out, go down tunnel two, no cheese, come out, come down tunnel three, no cheese, and then he'll go down tunnel four, and bingo, there's the cheese. Now if you put the rat back in the box by tunnel one, which tunnel will he go to? Four. He, he ain't stupid. Yeah, he's going straight to tunnel four. He's going to go down tunnel four and get the cheese. And then again, gets the cheese. And then again, tunnel four, there's the cheese. Bingo, bingo, every time. Now, if you move the cheese from tunnel four to tunnel one, and you put the rat inside the box, what tunnel is he going to go to? Four. No cheese. Going to come out of tunnel four, because he's not dumb, he's not going to go back down there. He's going to go to tunnel three. He's going to tunnel two. He's going to go to one. Bingo, there's the cheese. Now you keep putting that cheese in tunnel one, he's just going to be going into tunnel one the whole time and getting the cheese. A human being. Now, I'm being nice by saying a human being. What I'm really saying is you. We got the cheese in tunnel four. You get in the box. You go down tunnel one, no cheese. Tunnel two, no cheese. Tunnel three, no cheese. 24. 24. Tunnel four, cheese. And then we keep it in tunnel four. So you get back in, you go straight to four. You're like the rat. You go to straight to four. Cheese, cheese, cheese. Then we remove the cheese from tunnel four. We put it into tunnel one. 
You're going to go inside the box. What tunnel are you going to go to? Four. You're going to go all the way down the tunnel. You're going to see there's no cheese there. You know what you're going to do now? You're going to set up a tent and a plaque and a whole memorial. And you're going to tell a story for the next 50 years. How there was once cheese at the end of Tunnel 4. In fact, your kid, your great-grandkids will have Minhagame around this. Of course, you'll be completely emaciated and starving because you haven't had any cheese. But that's okay because dysfunction, dysfunction with a narrative, a story around it. Everyone just practice that word narrative, narrative. It's a fancy way of saying a story you tell, a tale that you tell. Dysfunction plus narrative. Here's the dysfunction plus a narrative around it equals function in your life. Being dysfunctional plus a narrative equals functional in your life. Give a pop if you know what I'm talking about. Is there a louder pop? One, two, three. That narrative, listen carefully, that narrative is your order. That narrative is your order. That's the order that you've been living in. The possible you shoots a vibrational chaos gun into your narrative. First day, you don't even know what I'm doing. You don't even know what I'm talking about. Because what's going on is we're going to start drilling in, like literally like with like a jackhammer, like we're going to be drilling in to what? the actual content of the default mode network. So you're like, what do you mean the content of my default mode network? So the answer is, the stuff that you're vigilant for, that your default mode network has your brain, basically 90% of your brain unnetworked, meaning 90% of your brain is offline most of your life because you're so busy Watching out for what your narrative tells you from the past is dangerous. You getting this? You're happy, yeah? I, I'm really working hard right now that you get what I've flown here for next week such that you will sign up tonight because your seminar begins the second you sign up for it. It literally does. You know when like, you buy a ticket to Herod's Sistral? Where are you already, even though you're not flying for a few weeks? Where are you? You're there. You're there. And so I, I just know that there's a much more toilet for someone who signs up tonight than, sign, than comes Sunday to sign up. Because you're already there. And what is it going to be like at your Shabbos table knowing you're signed up for Sunday night? For Sorry, Sunday at noon. It's going to be a different Shabbos. Because you know I'm going to shake you up. And... 
And you need shaking up badly. Badly. Because there's a whole you that's the possible you that's so beyond what you've been getting until now. Because all you get till now is just everything that makes sense in the order of the story you tell around your life. That's all you've been getting till now. Which is wonderful, by the way. I mean, I don't judge any... You would think with everything I know about this stuff that I'll walk into Bubbov and just be like, oh boy, these guys just have no life. I don't think that way at all. I'm actually looking at each face and like, like holding my hands back from pinching each cheek I see. Because all I see is just the most beautiful people ever. And like, oh, you want to live in, you want to live in some narrative? It's Lucharaba. Like, great success to you. You know? You want to come work with me and like shake off your stories? Well, let's do it. You don't want to? So I'll just love you where you're at. You know? That's fine. And I want to say something really honest right now. If you're inside your stories, so you're in some story, which means you're basically bluffing most of the time. You're bluffing that you like, that you're really loved, you know, and wanted. And you're bluffing that you've, you know, that you can do it. And you're bluffing that you got your act together. And you're bluffing that you got it all buttoned up. And you're bluffing, well, I don't even know what to say about that one. But I'm going to be really honest with you. I'm bluffing. I'm bluffing too. Think of what I'm telling you. You're, you're not realizing you're bluffing. I'm letting you know you are. And you probably know deep down I'm right. Well, guess what? I don't know that I am. But if someone were standing in front of me and saying, you know, if my Rosh was saying, Reb you're a bluffer. And I'd be like, I don't know what you mean, Rosh Hashiva. But I would know he's right. I would know he's right. There's some bluff. So I'm, in a, I'm bluffing too. We're all, we're all just human beings can't live without a story around things. But in as much as you can shed that story, your life begins. Like that's where life happens. In the chaos of shedding a story. Thanks for coming back. <laughs> so excited. So excited not to fight that thing. I had the flu like a week and a half ago, but I'm, I've still got the, the bronchial stuff. So speaking over this thing is like, is the most I've had to project in two weeks. Is that the guy with my guitar strings? No. Yeah? No? Yeah? Oh, yeah, you guys got... Oh, cool. Welcome. Okay, so listen up. But you guys got that part, meaning... meaning I'm not here to call you a bluffer. I mean, I am here to call you a bluffer. But I'm calling myself a bluffer, too. 
And I don't know, I don't know where my bluff is right now, but I'm so excited to meet it and to shed it and to be free. And not only that, but wherever I'm bluffing is where my brain is overworking to keep it up. Which means, which means my default mode network's overworking to keep the rest of my brain from being networked. My favorite feedback of the seminar after the week of the seminar is when a man says that he was holding the kiddish cup and he was about to make kiddish when he looked across the room and he saw his wife and then he saw his children and he just burst out sobbing because he saw his he saw this woman that his parents gave him about 15 years ago for the first time because she was also part of a story within some kind of narrative and so were all the kids they're all in some storyline but at, when you live inside stories you lose touch with the actual 3D experience of life, life itself. The default mode network is super important at 65 miles per hour. But it's completely unnecessary when you're listening to music or at a wedding. or in a business meeting, or when you're expanding a business by taking on more investors or bigger projects. Moishi, what happened to our AC guy? Working on it. So glad we're not using it. I love this room, this room. They did a great job of this room. But uh, happy we will not be dealing with that next week. Moishi, is it going to go off? Because I want to pull out my guitar soon. It's going to go off? Okay, listen up. I want you just to notice something about something really interesting. And that is that this works, these five fears work in incredible ways. Number one is the most popular. You guys, raise your hand. Raise your hand when I get to the fear that stops you the most. These are what stop us. Raise your hand the fear that stops you most. Again, rejection from others. Failure is, well, I'll tell, do it as a Failure is your own ability to, to uh, perform. Out of control means other people controlling you. Unknowns means what's going to be. Physical pain and suffering is, you know, I'm a, it's a little weird. It's like I'm afraid, you know, God forbid, some car accident and, you know, whatever. It's a little weird. Okay, Ready? Raise your hand. Everyone's got to vote for one as the biggest one. Because you probably have all five. Most of us. No, we all have all five. But, okay, rejection. Failure. Out of control. Unknown. Physical pain and suffering. So guess what? Guess what? Of those five fears, they were exactly in order of popularity in this room. And not only that, they're exactly at order of popularity in every room. 
So they're listed in order of popularity. Not only that, they're age-specific. Childhood. Teenage to about 40 years old. Marrying off children. Feeling a little out of control. With all those mechotanim. Mechotanisters. And trying to keep track of all those kids who are starting their own homes. Oh my gosh. I'm going to die one day. Oh my gosh, I'm dying. <laughs> you know, I, my father should be well, he's 90 years old, but it's like, every time I speak, I could call him right now and like put him on speaker and you'd all hear like, which doctor he's going to. And, he's, and I'm going to see a new doctor tomorrow that's going to be talking to me about this. And, and then I'm going to this doctor later in the week and then, you understand? Like, it's literally in, in this order. It's also regional. Uh, some regions have, like, main, Los Angeles. Okay? It's Hollywood. New York City. Yeah, over here, you know. Here, it's like, it's how you look. Here, it's what you got. Control. South Africa. Unknown, Israel, physical pain and suffering, Afghanistan. But here's the crazy part. Hasidic and Litvish Jews after the Holocaust. But once the whole education system was set up. Rejection. Tell me, how high are the expectations for what, for our, the code of conduct, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's like, <laughs> it's not even normal that, it's not even normal this is happening in the U.S. of A. That has no, it's so hefker in this country that there's like no expectations of anyone. I mean, boys are becoming girls in this country already. Like, there's no expectation of anyone anywhere. Yet, yet the post-war Haredim have like, the black hat world has like really high expectations. Um, the next is failure. So we have a famous saying is, uh, first of all, what boys have to go through. Because there's three types of people. There's Chabad people, Chochman bin Adas. There are Chagas people, which are interpersonal types like me. Like you could only run this seminar if you're a Chagas guy. And then you've got you got instinctual people or nahi people. But the thing is, is Jewish men are basically, Jewish men are basically 40% interpersonal, nechagaz, and 40%, or it's really probably more like 45% chagas, 45% nahi, and then 10% of people like really live in their head. 10%, how many people would like to actually stare at a book all day? 10% probably, about 10%. And, and that's the, that's the Chochma Bin Adas types. But we, what we have is the whole thing flipped for a full expectation that every student's gonna be Chochma Bin Adas or we're gonna drug them. We're gonna drug them and, and which is just like, like what? 
You're going to put amphetamines into our children so that they can do well in the education system? Why don't we, instead of changing the chemical balance of our children's brains, why don't we change the education system? And you should know, by the way, the Yerushalmi system in Yerushalayim, where I live, it doesn't work like this. And the kids aren't put on pills over there. And we, we've completely eradicated ADHD in Israel with a very, very simple system. You want to hear the system? It's a little off our topic, but I can tell it to you very quickly. I'll tell it in a story. When I put my first son in Haider, so I went to the, he forgot his sandwich one day. So I go over to this place and I'm looking for my son of Rummy, and there's no one in the class. So I look around for the kids. I found them playing outside. So okay. So I told the Rebbe, you know, where should I put a sandwich? Put a sandwich. I come back a couple weeks later, totally different time of day. And I, he had also forgotten something. Go to the class. There's no one there. Look outside in the playground. There they are. I mean, after enough of these times, I just stopped going to the class. I just go to the playground. So I finally went up to the Rebbe after the fifth time that year. And I said to him, you know, you guys are never inside the classroom. All, every time I come here, everyone's out playing. And he looks at me and he's like, they're three years old. They're three. You know, leave them alone. And I said, yeah, but did you notice that my son can concentrate? And they're like, we noticed that about your son. He's now playing. And I said, no, he's bored. He's bored playing because he doesn't need to play all day. Anyway, he's like, sorry. Welcome to Yerushalayim. You know, come when he's come next year for pre-kindergarten when he's four, and you'll see that he's about 5% more often in class with the kids. And so what happened was they slowly moved it between three years old till he was 12, right about to be bar mitzvah, to where it was like mostly recess and a little class time to mostly class time and very little recess over those nine years. And what they wound up with was about a thousand kids in that school, but tons of schools like this. They wound up with about a thousand kids without any of them being ADHD and none of them taking dangerous chemicals for their bodies. None of them. And they all sit and learn. So, anyway, check this out. What about our education? High expectations, or else failure. And especially for the Nihi and the Chagas guys, they're out. Control, the first decision most kids will ever make is a week after Sheva Brothers. Unknown. Well, that one we win. Everything's known. And physical pain and suffering is that we're all direct descendants of people who were tortured, some who are still alive. They were tortured terribly. And we're all direct descendants of them. Like, I always know when I come to Borough Park, I will eat. Because whoever's hosting me will just be like, 
Maybe you'd like a little more. You know, how about some more? You know, it's like everyone's getting ready for the march here. I'm like, I'm, I'm way too thin for this city. Yeah, I remember once walking on 13th Avenue. Uh, I had flown in on a Friday morning. I was doing a Shabbaton in New Jersey. I'm walking with my assistant. And all of a sudden, I just stop. And I'm like, I forgot my Beckinger. Like, I forgot my Beckinger in Israel. And meanwhile, there was like, there was like 10 Mack truck men walking by us. And, and my, my assistant said, what are we going to do? I said, that's all right, I'll just borrow one from somebody. And my assistant points at all these Mack truck men walking by, and he says, you could fit two of you and one of them. Yeah, we're not borrowing, we're buying. And we actually pulled into one of these stores and got some, like, you know, second for 80 bucks. I had a Beckature for Shabbos. Uh... Where's Moishi? Okay. If we can just get this fan off, we'll uh, take it to a new level. You know what I'm going to do? I'll do like this. This is just something I love to do. I can't help but do this. Um. <clears throat> I'm going to take it one step further, and then we're going to... Uh, move into a totally different stage of this evening. Once that thing goes off, we'll do a meditation. You guys are so cute. You're trying to pick the lock of the AC system. You don't have to do that. Okay. Okay, listen up. We're going to take this, uh, gentlemen, ladies, we're going to take this one step further. By the way, ladies, thanks for coming. Our, our flyer actually said men only. And, and was it you? Yeah. But I think you, it's almost all alumni here. You're alumni. Yeah. Or not, you're not. Right, right, right. So, so, listen up, guys. Are you are you too restless? Can we? Uh, we're gonna go one step deeper. Just doing one step deeper for like five minutes. Aren't you? We're going one step deeper for like five minutes. <laughs> he said it's about time. So, so what I'd like you guys to do is. First of all, for those of you who don't know 
the seminar, because I see a lot of people who did the seminar here, but the fears, rejection and failure and control and unknown physical pain and suffering, you're probably thinking that the seminar is going to make you face your fears. You know, it's going to be like Tony Robbins. You're going to have to like walk on hot coals or something. Or like Dale Carnegie, where you're going to have to get up and like give speeches and stuff like that. You know, like break through your fears. No. The seminar is not going to ask you to do that. And also, I just want to mention to you that another important thing is you do not have to share anything publicly about yourself during the seminar. You can actually just keep it all to yourself if you prefer. Oh, thank you so much. Stick with them, Benny. Stick with them. So, you, you, I don't suggest you do this, but I, mean, I would suggest you put yourself into it and like, you know, because it's so confidential in there. Even who does it is confidential. So, oh, yes. Oh, no, it went back on. Oh, yes. Thank you. Saved my life. I'm just going to be doing like a little speaking over the next two weeks. <laughs> Starting off after the flu with speaking over like Hurricane Alley. It's like not good. That's so much better. People, can you hit me with two waters, please? Hmm? Yeah, just two waters, please. Now, I'm like downing this water. Thanks so much, brother. You're the best. Um, can someone remind me what I was talking about? We're not going to face our fears. The reason we're not going to face our... Oh, I was talking about confidentiality. So you don't even have to share anything during the seminar. You can just keep it all to yourself. I think that's a bad idea. <laughs> but you could do that if you really wanted to. I mean, I had the biggest... I had the biggest... Now... Sorry, he was very big too, actually. He was like six foot three. But I had the... The manal of the... Uh, over here. I had the biggest manal of... I said it again. I had the manal of the biggest Talmud Torah in all of uh, America. And he sat with his hat and girdle, wearing his hat and girdle, sitting in this seminar with his arms crossed, looking at me like this, the entire seminar, like this. He looked at me like, Can I tell you how hard it is to speak when someone's looking at you like that? <laughs> I, was, I was like, there's actually someone here who was there at that, at that particular uh, seminar. And, it was, but it was many years ago, I don't know. And I just wanted it to end, you know, from this guy's icy stare. When it was time to learn, talk to the, like once in a while it's parapchavrusas, not for him. He comes in on his, and there's something I didn't share with you, but once you break through everything, 
what happens is your vibrational energy, we all have a vibrational energy. This is why, like, for example, a victim of assault has a 40% higher chance of being assaulted once they've been assaulted the first time. They're, they're, the victim vibration is on them now. Okay? You notice other people, they like, they can become a millionaire like five times. You know, like, well, they'll become a millionaire and then like, whatever, something went wrong and then they'll become a millionaire and then like, they, they'll, they'll just like do that over and over again because it's just, they, they smell of, of success financially. There's people like this. There's people who have vibrational energies that attract sickness and there's people with vibrational energies to attract health. There's, there's, this is just the way it works. If your kid was bullied in school and now you're on vacation and there's a bully in that camp or whatever, he'll find your son. He'll like smell him out. So everything works vibrationally. So listen to this. He goes, he only told us this on the last night of the seminary. He finally opens his mouth. But on the third day of the seminar, out of four days, third day of the seminar, he goes into the Talmud Torah and a kid got in trouble and was sent to the principal's office. So, you know, there he is sitting at his desk and the kid comes in frightened. And within a few minutes of talking to the principal, the kid burst out crying. Now, this had never happened before to the principal. So he came and took his chair around and sat next to the boy, put his arm around him and just kind of held him on his lap and let him cry. And... You know, spoke to him and turned out the boy starts talking about his family and his home and meaning none of the issue going on in school had anything to do with school. This all had to do with his house. And when he was done, the kid said, he said to the kid, would you like to come back here in three days and keep talking? And the kid's like, and, and then about 45 minutes later, another kid was sent into the principal's office. And after a few minutes of talking to that kid, the kid burst out crying. And the principal had now seen this only twice in his career and came around the table and put the kid on his lap until the kid felt better. And then it just kept happening throughout the day. He told us this on the last night. And then at the end of the day, after this happened over and over again, he came into the seminar that night and went like this. He didn't say a word, but what he was thinking underneath is what is what in the world is going on here. I'm not even participating in the seminar. And this is why I always tell the participants, just keep your body in the chair. You know, because like they come up to me and they're like, Well, I don't understand this part. And I'm just like, just keep your body in the chair. Like, don't drink too much because you're not going to get the breakthrough in the bathroom. Just keep your body in your chair. Anyway, he shared this with us after the final day of the seminar because the same thing happened the following day. I called him a half a year later. He says he's pushed his table, his big imposing table. He's pushed it against the window. And he bought a little round table, and that's where he sits with the kids. He then hired four minalim. It's a big tomator. He hired four minalim, trained them, sent them to the possible use seminar. And he 
And then he slowly backed out and went back to school and got himself retrained in several different fields of education and then opened up his own program for children. This was the person who did not participate in the seminar. You just got to keep your body in the chair. That's it. And I tell people all the time, like, there's three, uh, three big hints how to get your breakthrough in there. One, don't try to understand it. Because there's people, um, there's people who've been to the seminar many times. Anyone in here been to the seminar many times? Uh, yeah? Many times? Yeah, he's been in many times. Many times. This guy, this guy's a PhD. He's a doctor in psychology and social, social, social work. And he, he actually works for me. He's one of the coaches that uh, helps with the seminar. He's a, he, you know, Yeshiva University a doctorate. And how many times do you do the seminar before you understood it? Um, I think you usually say it was about five before it really clicked. Five, it clicked. It, it, it kind of progressively clicked. Right. But did you notice that the transformation that you came for happened the first seminar? Yeah, every, every time it was going deeper and more, breaking through more. I understand, but it wasn't, you didn't need to understand it, right? No, you don't have to understand everything. He didn't have to understand anything. And he didn't till the fifth time when it finally, like, the Tetris pieces finally, like, clicked. And he saw the puzzle put together. Another hint I tell people is, is don't think about the future. <laughs> like, right, don't think about, like, trying to implement this a month from now or during Pesach, Seder, you know, or why? Because where are you? You're a month from now. Stop thinking about that. Obviously, I wouldn't run a seminar if it wasn't going to help, help you after the seminar. That would be stupid. So get your brain out of the future and be in the room. Be here for this experience. Now, we're not going to face the fears. I'm going back to that. We're not going to face the fears because the fears actually have a root. There's a source to the fears. And I'm going to share with you well, I can't share with you all of them. But there's some, there's, these are only symptoms. The five fears are not your issue. The five fears are the symptoms of something much deeper. And what is much deeper is the story you've been telling yourself about yourself. The beliefs in your story. The narrative you have surrounding your dysfunction is all based on a story. And those stories is like a fairy tale. It's a story of beliefs. And so there's certain beliefs that relate to rejection. Beliefs, and feel free to call some out, but beliefs will be like unlovable, unacceptable, unwanted, Ugly. Unworthy. Those are all examples of core stories that I'm telling myself since I'm a child. 
Now, if your kid felt unwanted by his friends, is that true or is it just a belief? Meaning, meaning in his core, is he an unwanted child? Is that true or a belief? Which one? It's a belief. And if someone feels unacceptable, is that true or is that a belief? It's a belief. And if someone feels unlovable, is it true or it's a belief? If someone is ugly, <laughs> there you might do it. That person's ugly, you know. No, there's no such thing as an ugly person. Just ask their grandmother. <laughs> and as they say, every, every kala is beautiful on her wedding day. It's really true. Have you ever noticed that? Every kala is beautiful on her wedding day. Why? How did she suddenly become beautiful if she wasn't beautiful before the wedding day? The answer is, is that when 500 people come around you and just shine their love onto you and all their blessings and all their beliefs and faith in your future, you start to glow. And that glow is called beautiful. And so people shine when you shine on them. And what day has she ever had where everyone shined on her like that? And the answer is, it never was such a day. But now that day has come, and she's glowing. Just a little lesson about our making sure our kids feel beautiful is shine your light at them and watch them glow. Failure. Not good enough. Incapable. Stupid. Control. Small. Weak. Worthless. Victim. Lost. Unknown. Doomed. Hopeless. Sickly. We've all been living in storyland. Now, question. Yes or no? Everyone's got to answer. Whenever you believe stuff about yourself as a little kid because of whatever happened that day, did you go home to tell your parents the new news that you're unlovable or stupid or small or weak or worthless or whatever? Did you go home and tell your parents yes or no? No. I myself had the most traumatic experience in my whole childhood. I was bubble-wrapped. I was a UPS bubble-wrap package living in the safest neighborhood on earth. We didn't have to lock our doors. The closest pedophile was 11 zip codes away. There was nothing dangerous going on ever. And with sensitive, loving parents, if a teacher would raise his hand to his child... He'd like go to, it'd be like, he'd go to a state penitentiary for life. 
It was the most vanilla white bread safe environment there could ever be in the world. I was bubble wrapped. And which is an amazing episode is it doesn't matter. Whatever breaks the dream you're living in when you're a kid, whatever messes it up could be, it could be anything from as horrific as a molestation to something as completely benign as you just got your brand new pencil and when you came back from recess, it was gone. Either way, you had no control. And it's weird, but there's no, uh, what's a good uh, intellectual term for it? Uh, evaluation, no equity. Correlation. No. It's fully correlated, and there's no... What? Whatever. There's no different volume for one horrible thing to... What? There's some fancy... You know what I'm talking about. There's some fancy... <laughs> I think we all got the point, though. I can't remember. There's a great word for it. I'm a word freak. Like I, I'm a public speaker, so my, the, the paint of my art is the word. And so I, I just love some of these words. Okay, we're almost there, by the way. You didn't tell your parents. When I was that bubble wrap kid, I was 10 years old going to the bathroom at my brother's bar mitzvah. And a, a girl walks into the men's bathroom by accident because it was just the first door that you passed. The women's was the next door. She walks into the men's bathroom and she opens up the door of the stall I was in. And she immediately realized she was in the wrong bathroom, obviously, because she saw me. But she was just like, it was just, the whole thing was like this, literally. It was just that. And then she ran. And I got up and I locked the door and I sat back down and I cried for three hours straight. I got unacceptable, majorly locked in there. I guess I wanted to be accepted by the 13-year-old kids. I don't know what I was thinking. like, But it's just really hard to feel acceptable when you're sitting on the toilet, I think. But it just was not where I wanted to be seen. I don't think any of us want to be seen there, but it was really bad for me right then. And that split second turned into, till I was 33 years old, it turned into a 23-year vigilance that no one will ever, ever make me feel unaccepted again. And within one year, within one year, I had dropped out of school. I'm now 11. I had dropped out of school. I'm the lead singer of a rock band. And 11-year-olds can sing really high. I'm the lead guitar player of the rock band. I'm surfing basically six to eight hours a day. And a bunch of other things that I'll leave out of my Brooklyn introduction. And I can imagine my parents are just like, what, what happened here? And I went on like that till I was 33 years old. 
Now, all of this kind of stuff, where you're living inside some stupid narrative based on some crazy belief in a world that's just become like 65 mile per hour landmines like where, that could blow up from under you anywhere. You can't help but can't help but have part of the, bo- the body actually start to feel it. So all of these things lock in. Where, people, where some people hold their weight, could be headaches, could be digestive, could be cardiac, cardial, like the, the, you know, the, the whatever you call those things. What do you call those things that carry the blood to our heart? Arteries. Like plaque in the arteries. But all of this affects our bodies. Everything I'm talking about here is all very much connected to our bodies. And I was at 33 years old when I finally broke through this. I was months away from a surgery over the uh, over something I had no idea existed until I finally hopped this word and that mice in the in the bathroom situation, and I was able to heal my body, and that's when I started the Possible You seminar, and I've been running it now for all these years, and it's my special contribution to the Jewish world. Um, some people ask me why I run it for, for observant people, why, why I run it for firm people. Like Many people have told me I'm crazy for running it for firm people because you, know, you could just go big with this and run it for Goyim and secular Jews and stuff. And so I, my answer has always been, I mean, I may change one day, but my answer has always been is that, you know, the people who tell me I should do that, I say that, me, that most observant people are more careful about what goes into their minds than what goes into their mouths. And, you, and I, tell the, I tell the friend, and you know how careful they are about what goes into their mouth. And I said, like, let someone else train Gentiles and secular Jews. But I'm dedicating my life to these people who wouldn't trust necessarily anyone to share this kind of work with them and take them down this rabbit hole. And the other thing, did someone clap? (laughs) And the other thing is that when you reach out to a secular Jew, that's very nice for the secular Jew. But when you reach out to an observant Jew, it could represent cleaning, cleaning up the vibrational energy of a home with anywhere from 8, 10, 12 kids in it. And so it's a whole generation. And what's amazing since I said that years ago is that, is that I do a lot of counseling for kids in trouble, like teens at risk. I've never, ever had to counsel any of my gradu- the seminar graduates' children. It's never happened. I mean, if they're already teenagers and it was already damage done... I've counseled those kids. And I'm saying that over the 19 years when there were, you know, many of those people are already marrying off kids. I never, ever had to counsel one of those kids because their homes are clean environments. They're story-free homes. It's, it's the energy there is powerful and positive. And it's, there's no eggshells around the table. 
people are expressed, and it's it's a pure and safe environment. Um, we're going to let me just check the time. Whoa. Um, we're going to take uh, we're going to do two more things tonight. One is I would like you all to hear because you probably I know Brooklyn men you know they're like yeah that he's no gay but ever. So I'd like to ask a graduate of mine, because several came out. I don't know if you guys just wanted a hug for me. I don't know what you're doing. Not sure why they're here exactly. But I'm happy to give hugs to anyone who wants one. Um, the, uh, to hear from uh, a graduate of the seminar, uh, I don't know if any of you are feeling courageous just to share something on a personal level. Also, you're obviously exposing yourself that you did the seminar, but... Um, if someone's willing to get up here, at least one of you, and just share, just on a personal level, no sales, just, just kind of that before and after picture of what what you, breakthrough that you, breakthroughs you've had in this in this seminar. Um, if no one's coming up at all, I, I'd rather a Yiddish speaker come up. Um, and the Yiddish speaker has to speak Yiddish. No, no, in English. Just because there's, there's more of the oil in here it's from the Hamish background. Yeah, trust the Yiddish speaker more. You got it. Are you a graduate? I'm a graduate. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.